to Random Badassery, the podcast that asks the big questions about creativity, like, can I take it on an airplane, and does it have gluten? My name is Chad Hall, and with me, as always, is my friend and comrade, Lam Wen. Yeah, I think most art has gluten in it, so you've got to be really careful about what you consume these days in the art world. Everything has gluten now. <laughs> I know. You know what? Try, try being soy intolerant. Um, Crystal is soy intolerant. There is not a single item of food on this planet that doesn't have soy in it. Yeah, it's like a filler food now. Exactly. So it's just in pretty much everything that's processed. Anything that is in a box at a supermarket has some form of soy in it. It's amazing. It's like garlic. <laughs> uh, welcome to a, another one of our creative, creative studies, uh, creator studies, or creative people studies, whichever words. We don't really have a specific word for this episode. We take a person that we think is... Uh, has an interesting form of creativity or something we can learn from creatively, we study them for a month. And uh, our subject today is Meryl Streep, the actress, and so many other things, which often I say with people that we study because they are such complicated people. And we happen to be lucky on this one, Lamb, because Meryl Streep has a lot to offer. And because of our technical difficulties and because of changing things around and all that stuff, we actually studied her for almost two months. Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, um, I think, you know, when we go into these these artist profiles or creative studies, we, at least for me, I end up studying a lot more about their lives because I think I know more about their art um, than I realize. Um, and in Meryl Streep's case, the opposite happened. I realized how little of her work I'd actually seen. Um, not not seen, because I've seen most of the movies, but how much of it I've, 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 I've not studied and, and, and kind of really paid attention to. The, the level of performances. So this is going to be a different one for me. Uh, I'm going to focus a lot more on her work just because of how remarkable it is. <laughs> well, the thing that's crazy, too, about Meryl Streep is you think you know the movies that she's in, but then you realize, oh, she had a small part in that. Oh, she had a small part mm-hmm. in that. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was in that for five minutes. She's just... Sure. I mean, yeah. I think it was, if I remember the number correctly, she was in a, almost 100 films. Yeah, eighty-seven or some crazy number like that, and some of which are are some. Just think. Let's put that in context for a second. She has twenty Academy Award nominations in eighty films. Yeah, and so that's a twenty. That's that's essentially a twenty-five percent success rate on Academy Award nominations and thirty Golden Globe uh, nominations. Yeah, not only thirty Golden Globe number nominations, she won eight of those. So she almost has a thirty percent click on on victories uh, versus nominations when it comes to Golden Globes too. That's just unbelievable. There's a an interview with her with Charlie Rose. I can't remember uh, what year it was, but she was talking about. He says, you know, like you're you're nominated for more Academy Awards than than anybody else, and she's like, that also means I've lost more than anybody else. <laughs> Yeah, I love seeing those little morsels. And looking around at her interviews, there's a lot of that, too. Um, I forget what publication it was that called her the best actress of her generation. And she flatly outright, with, with no um, you know, feigned 
um, humility just straight straight up said, no, I'm not. Like, like in a way that only Meryl Streep could and have you believe her without any justification. It's like, oh, she really, she genuinely believes that she's not. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, there's a, a great uh, – I actually wrote this part down from the Charlie Rose interview because he asked her. He's like, have you come to accept – because apparently she's, she's fairly famous for um, not believing that she's as good as she is. And he says, have you finally come yeah. to accept that you are very good at what you do? And she like pauses for a minute and says, um – I've come to accept that I was good last time. And I, I had to write that down because I feel like that that – if we're going to pull lessons out as we – this is the point of these episodes, guys. It's going to pull lessons out of these people. If we're going to pull one lesson out, that's a really good lesson. Number one, to accept the fact that you're good at something is very important. But also you're only as good as the last thing you did and you're, you're always going to approach the next thing with trepidation. There's a lot of novelists, novelists – I don't know why I had to put a B in that word. A lot of novelists that uh, say that they, when they finish a book, they start the next book, they realize they've forgotten how to write a book. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine what that's like for an actor. Yeah, I mean, with and especially with, with a, an actress like Meryl Streep, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into this. I, this is one of the few episodes where we just dive right in. We've dive, dove right into the artist just because there's so much to cover with her. Like there's, you know, not how are you, Chad? How are you, Lamb? Oh, I'm good, Chad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> there is so much to cover with her that it's just, I mean, to, to go to your point, one of the, the, the things that I, I continually read is just, you know, the, it, the quote that I wrote down was, um, oh, where is it? I have so many here. Oh, yeah, um, to, to echo the sentiment that you just said, she says, I always feel like I can't do it, that I can't go through with the movie, but then I go through with it after all. And that it seems like if you, if you, if you see a through line throughout her career, almost every interview she has post-movie, there's always this sense of relief because she always feels like going into it that she can't possibly pull it off, which is amazing considering the sheer number of movies that she's done um, and the sheer number of, of important, not just great roles, but important roles that she's played over the years as well. You know, we all go into these things assuming that these creative endeavors of ours, assuming that people who have come before us, people who are good at the things that they do, these people whose names that we know, notable people, if you prefer to say it that way, that they know what they're doing. That, you know, they go into these things and they got their patterns and they have all this stuff. And to hear somebody like Meryl Streep, who's made almost 100 films, not including stuff on television and a little bit of play work that she's done, say things like that. I think that should humble us, that, that maybe we're putting too much importance on ourselves, you know, like she feels the same way and she's what we would consider an expert. Well, to to follow along on that line too, I mean, she's she's known throughout her entire career, even before she became the Meryl Streep that we know now, as being a pretty big philanthropist as well. You know, and and one of the ironic quotes, um, I, I, considering that she played, ah um, oh man, I'm, I'm I feel like a jerk now for not remembering, but the 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 editor of Vogue from um, the Devil Wears Prada, you know, one of the the. The quotes that I remember from around that time too was expensive clothes are a waste of money. So there's <laughs> there's this hilarious irony and this juxtaposition between who she is as a person and the roles that she plays sometimes. And I think, you know, to, to know that those two things exist in the same person simultaneously to me is such a testament to how amazing of an actor she is and how much preparation and commitment she has into her roles. It's unbelievable. And that as much as I really, really like that role, by the way, if you haven't seen The Devil Wars Prada, um, you need to see it um, just to appreciate the subtlety of her emoting. 
Um, she has to play this very hard, very stern, very calculated, and very powerful woman who doesn't show weakness. And the small, tiny moments of weakness that she does show are so much more meaningful because of that. Um, and honestly, despite how good that role was, I still think it's middle of the pack when it comes to, to what she's done. I mean, I, I saw a few movies that I hadn't seen in, in a few years and some that I hadn't seen at all. Um, but the one that is, is probably going to haunt me for a while is Sophie's Choice. That is an incredible film. Yeah, I watched. I tried to watch some strange ones. By the way, it was Miranda Priestley was the name you're trying to remember. That's right, Miranda Priestley. Thank you. Yeah, there's, I mean, in some ways, there's there's so many lessons to be pulled out of this woman, this, this talented human being. Um, you know, like, uh, for example, one of the things that struck me was she started late. And she got into this game yeah. late. So, you know, people who think it's too late or, um, you know, I can't do it because I'm too old. She started, she didn't start until 1977. Do you remember what year she was born? Um, um, here, let me click on this. I do. I have it. I have it here somewhere. Let's see. Oh, man, I have so many notes for her. It's ridiculous. Um, she was born in 49. So that's pretty late. Yeah. yeah. So she was almost 30 when she started in acting. And her first film was in 1977 called Julia. Now, think about that. Acting is a, for a lot of people will tell you, at least now in the modern film age, acting is a young person's game. And she's getting in. Yeah. She's almost 30 years old. That's scary, especially for a woman. Like, a, a, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this. Um, it's something maybe we, we see, but we don't observe. But there's kind of a blackout period for women. Um, women actors mm -hmm. talk about this a lot. There's You're allowed to play the young girl because, you know, you're, you're the young lead. You're beautiful. But then... You reach a certain age, and then there's no roles for you until you get old, and you can play the grandmother or the mother. And so there's this, mm -hmm. this blackout period, and when she's 30 years old going into this, I mean, she's approaching the blackout period because the blackout period is usually about 40 to late 50s. Um, I think that that's changed a little bit in modern times because, you know, maybe – We've learned a little bit more, you know, that women have value of all ages. But at the time that she was getting into this, that was a very dangerous proposition to get into film at almost 30 years old. Because by the time you get notoriety, you'd be, quote unquote, too old. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tough, too. I mean, it's I, I have a hard time thinking of of an older female actress that has the level of, of clout that she does and doesn't, I mean, if you think of certain older actresses like Julia Roberts, I mean, she's, she's yeah, Nicole Kidman. Um, um, Faye Dunaway. I can't think of many more than that. Faye Dunaway. Sure. Sure. I mean, Judy Dench is, is reaching that grandmotherly point, but Judy Dench has, has been amazing her entire career. Um, Helen Mirren um, is another good one as well. Kate Blanchett. But yeah, there, there's, yeah, but yeah, there's not a bunch. Yeah, Kate Blanchett is 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 I don't know. Um, I think Kate Blanchett is 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 steaming her way to success through that age just to prove a point. <laughs> I think it's kind of amazing, right? And what there's a, there there's a an interesting theory that Meryl Streep actually has about the women of age thing because she talks about how the, you know this idea that the men don't really have that problem in film, but um, women tend to, and she said that she has this theory that uh, movies operate on the level of dreams in the sense of where we dream ourselves. 
Um, women, mm-hmm. women dream themselves as young and beautiful and appealing, whereas men dream themselves as strong, accomplished, and powerful. And for men, uh, the dream tends to go on longer, that men believe that about themselves longer, so they can imagine themselves in those roles longer, whereas for women, it kind of drops off. And I, th- I think she doesn't really, she kind of, when she's explaining this, her uh, she kind of drifts off into a different direction without really finishing the point of what she's saying. But I think what she's saying is the reason that there is that gray out period to some degree is because people don't write characters in that age because they don't want to see women in that age, quote unquote. You know, even women themselves don't want to dream of themselves as middle-aged women. They want to dream of themselves as young or distinguished. I wonder if that has something to do with our biological uh, views of each other too. Like for someone like her, for example, it's 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 about um, the age in which she can still have children. I wonder if that 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 period of of you know time between forty and forty forty and fifty, where um, most women are menopausal, is just something that that biologically we we shun we shun or we we don't want to see, just because it's kind of the the ending of a certain a useful biological age. I don't know what the, the biological function is, but that, that sounds, that sounds um, like part of it to me, uh, which I think is absurd considering what we are now as a society. But yeah. Well, I do think uh, there's probably a spark in the biology, but it's definitely perpetuated. And I'm sure you agree with this is perpetuated with sexism. Um, the, oh, sure. the idea that now that, now that she's fathered your children, I haven't fathered your children. Now that she's mothered your children, she's birthed and raised your children. She's of no value to you. And how, how subtle is that misogyny, by the way? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, and you know, the, the whole idea of older men with younger women, well, that's just replacing the woman that you no longer find useful. This is, I mean, it's a perpetuation of society, but I'm sure, um, to some degree, you could argue that it started in some sort of biology, you know, but, uh, I can't remember who says it. I think it's, um, Catherine Hepburn in, uh, the African queen that human nature is the thing that, uh, we're supposed to rise above. That, that, that's not where we're supposed to reside at the level of human nature. We're supposed to rise above that. We're supposed to be better than that. Then I think for me, like a lot of times when, uh, and I'm not saying that you're saying this because you're, you're definitely not, but a lot of times people will use biology as an excuse for things. And, uh, that's what I think of when I think of sure that might be a biological fact, but, uh, as human beings, we're capable of rising above our biology. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think the, 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 use of biology for an excuse for anything is absolutely absurd. Um, we might as well just, you know, take off our clothes and live in caves if we think that our biology should rule how we act as, as, as humans. I mean, we transcended what we were because of, um, our, our, our shunning of our own biology in a certain sense. We're not supposed to talk or have memories or history or build giant magnificent things or organize in governments or build societies. And that's, that's, that's that's transcending our nature. That's that's developing the the one thing that I think is actually anti nature, which is culture. And I think culture culture will, in the long run, be the next evolutionary step for us um, that that takes us beyond nature. Um, and don't get me wrong; it's not to say that I don't understand how important our biology is or how important nature is to how we function on this planet and what we should be doing to take care of it. But the thing that will definitely change us, the thing that will unite us, and the thing that will help us to transcend um, our differences is, is definitely culture. Yeah, we have to focus on the things that make us human, not the things that make us animals. Absolutely. 
which is awesome, awesome considering our subject because one of the things Meryl Streep has constantly talked about her entire career is about empathy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's where I was. That's where I was planning on going right now as well. She. Ah, uh, damn it, Chad. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm. I mean, we're both going in the same direction. Like her big thing is about of finding the humanity in every character, and I think that that that's an extraordinary lesson for life, not just for being an actor. But she's able to take these disparate characters and find uh, humanity in them. And if you look at all of the roles that she's played, which I've seen a good chunk of them, there is something in all of them that's alive and that's relatable. She never makes a character that's detestable. You know, it's you know, it's ama- you know, it's amazing about her career too. I didn't even realize this until you said the 1977 thing. So she started in 1977 on TV. Uh, the Deadly Season was the show. By 79 and 82, she had her two Oscar-winning performances so soon after she began. <laughs> um, Crazy. That's, that's really shocking. I never realized that until now. That's unbelievable. Uh, and, and for anyone who hasn't seen either of those movies, uh, Kramer vs. Kramer or Sophie's Choice, please see them. Um, they are life-altering Um also, keep well, in mind the, that... And The Deer Hunter, too. 1978. Oh, Deer Hunter. That's right. Those. That's true. And she got nominated for that one, didn't she? Yeah. That was her second film role. Ah, uh, Deer Hunter was... Uh, Deer Hunter's amazing on, on another level, just because I, I I still think, at least on some level, that it's De Niro's best ever performance. Um, but yeah, um, see Kramer versus Kramer and Sophie's Choice if you really want to see a, a study in how, how tortured and twisted... Um, a female character can be it's they're both you know they're both movie about movies about ch- making decisions about your children and i think that at, at least on some level um not just for women but for men too um there's an agonizing choice um or an ag- agonizing realization that comes in the moment of choice uh with both of both of those movies that's pretty remarkable yeah essentially like uh for there's part where she talked about Kramer versus Kramer and for people who have not watched that film the essence of Kramer versus Kramer is a court case between two parents where the mother has left the child and the father is with the son. Um, that's kind of all you need to know going into it without uh, me ruining anything. But the thing that was difficult for Meryl, she said, was going into that was in, in a lot of ways that movie, the deck was stacked against her. It was stacked mm-hmm. in Dustin Hoffman, who plays her husband in that film. It was stacked for him because the movie is about the relationship between the father and the son. The father is the one who stayed. So everything is making him look like the good guy and everything is making her look like the villain. And she said before she could do that film, she had to really understand what would drive a woman to leave her child. Why would a woman leave her child? And until she could understand that, she could not play her. And that goes back to the humanity thing that you were talking about. She had to find the humanity in that woman. I think that's why it's such a great role, you know, because there is that complexity to it. Yeah, I had a hard time finding that movie too, by the way. <laughs> so I actually had to, to do it the old-fashioned way. I found it in three different pieces in um, YouTube and I had, because I, I couldn't find it anywhere else. Um, and, of course, we don't live in a world of video stores anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, that movie, it, 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 it almost lends itself to... Um, 
I I think when I first saw it, I was too young. Uh, I was I was you know in my early twenties. I didn't really contemplate or understand what it was to to have or lose children. It's not like I have children now, but in my older age, I can appreciate the the level of closeness that you would have with a child, or the connection you would have with a child, and how absolutely brutal that is. I mean, I think about my mom, for example, and I think about you know the thing that you just talked about with Meryl, which is what would it take for you to leave your child? You know, how, how bad or how difficult do things have to be for you to make that choice? And I, I, considering the relationship I have with my mom and how I grew up, I can't imagine what must happen for her to walk away from that. You know, that's unbelievable. Especially for a mother because, um, you know, fathers and their, and their sons have strong relationships. But there is that bond between a mother and a child because uh, she's carried this human being developed inside of her own body. Um, I've talked about this with, with female friends after they've had their first child about, you know, like my curiosity was, is that strange? Like the sensation that this, you know, for all intent and purposes until you see them, this thing that's inside of you, that's a part of your body, that's the flesh of your flesh is now outside of you and moving and existing of its own volition. And it has its own thoughts and its own feelings. And I can't imagine going through that transformative experience because, I mean, that's just mind-blowing to take, you know, uh, not to diminish uh, motherhood in any way. But if my arm removed itself from my body and became another human being, the, the experience of that to see this thing that used to be a part of me that is now a person and then what would you have to go through to walk away from that? She saw an opportunity there as an actress to not play the stereotype of, well, this is, this is the assumption of what this woman is like, but to actually find a story that, that, that is unique and interesting. Yeah. And even throughout the course of the movie, you see her struggle with the choice. You know, you, you, I mean, there's obviously, at least on some level, she commits to the choice, but you watch her struggle through it. You watch her struggle through that, that, you know, um, you know, am I, it's not about whether I want my son in my life or not. It's whether or not I'm good for my son or not. Um, and that's, that's an amazing thing to see, um, in, 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 in the performance itself is you clearly see the moments where she's, she's deciding that in her mind. And sometimes it's, yes, I am good for him. And sometimes it's no, I'm bad for him. And that's, that's, an, that's amazing to see from moment to moment in that movie. Um, and this is not even, even getting into the horror that is Sophie's choice. I mean, that was, okay, let's, let's, let's treat at least, let's treat that movie on two different levels. Um, just because for me, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So number one, let's talk about Meryl Streep's performance and how unbelievably spot on her accent is, which by the way, um, you'll discover as potentially as we go through this podcast, that one of the things she's amazing at, um, is pulling off accents with a level of accuracy and authenticity that is shocking and rare. Um, and number two, speaking of having to make a choice, can you imagine having two children and having to choose one or the other? Ugh, I, I cannot, I cannot possibly fathom. Hold on, before you continue, can you explain to the audience who hasn't watched the film what you're talking about? Um, it's a, for, uh, without giving away too much of the movie, because I really, really think that if you're going to watch any Meryl Streep movie, at least in my opinion, um, Sophie's Choice is the movie that you need to see. Um, so Sophie, I'm, I'm, so she's a, um, 
I, it's let me let me let me make sure I've got this right because I don't want to get this wrong. Um, so she's Polish, um, and she has to choose. She she goes to a concentration camp and she's got to choose which child lives and which child dies between her two children. And that's basically the the the, the premise of the movie. I will I I don't want to give away much more than that. Um, other than the fact that the the performance throughout and and the things that you see in her through that performance are so pain. There are moments of silence in that movie that are more emotive than, than the, the, the clear emotional outbursts that she has, um, from, from the experience itself. It's unbelievable. It's one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen. Um, and it's almost performance, almost the performance is so strong. It's almost like you're not watching a movie. Um, it feels documentary-ish and it feels like you're just essentially following one character around and seeing her struggles with this just horrifying choice um but yeah it's definitely worth a watch i think that's one thing about meryl streep that i've noticed is there's never ever a moment where you feel like she's acting ever yeah she embodies everything that she does and there's also a a strong sense that uh there's never it never feels like the actors around her are weak either. There's something mm-hmm. about her presence that even rises up the performances of other people. Definitely. And I, I think that's a collaborative spirit. Uh, I haven't found much of her talking about that particular thing, but the way that she talks about other actors um, gives me that feeling. Mm-hmm. And going back to, uh, not to, to glaze over Sophie's Choice, but like you said, people need to really experience that movie uh, because we can't really talk too much in depth about it without kind of ruining the film. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But uh, one other thing I wanted to say about the Kramer versus Kramer thing is when when she did that film, the, the idea of this mother leaving her child, especially the era that she was doing, you know, like this, we we're just as as a society entering this phase of of. Uh, accepting psychology and that people talk about their feelings and that uh, share their deep, dark secrets and all of these things. But at the time that she's doing this film, that's just, you know, bubbling to the surface a little bit. You see it a little bit in Woody Allen films and so forth, but it's more of as a joke, this idea of women running away from their children. I wasn't aware of this until actually uh, you may laugh, but this is actually one of the most poignant moments of the TV show, How I Met Your Mother. There's a moment where the, where the character Lily is on the roof. She's just had um, her first child. She's on the roof and she's talking to Ted. And I can't remember what he is upset about. He's upset about something. And she she has this moment where she says, she's, you know, some, some days I just want to pick up and I want to run away. I just I want to run away. And it's not because she's a bad mother. It's not because she doesn't want to be a mother. It's because of so many things, you know, because it's exhausting, because it's so much responsibility. And what I found out through that experience, um, watching that and then having friends, um, female friends have children, is that's a common feeling for women that have children because it is it is so big. Having children is so big and it's so impactful that it's frightening. And, and Meryl Streep, in my opinion, I'm sure in novels or some sort, it was tackled before, but she took this moment of uh, where she had this possibility of just playing this woman 
uh, straight. You know, just she's the villain of this film. Fine. Um, and instead, she tapped into that feeling. I mean, this is a woman who actually ran away from her children. But I'm sure that women watching this film that had experienced that feeling with, with, uh, inside of themselves finally saw a portrayal of that on the screen. And I, I think that's one of the most powerful things that Meryl Streep can teach us is that if you take the time to look at something and really get into the character and to the story and, and really understand what's going on there. Even if, uh, like she says, a lot of times she creates backstories for characters that don't have backstories and the backstory will never be on the screen. No one will ever know, but her, but she creates these backstories so that she can fill the character in. And if you bring that kind of creativity to your creative endeavors, you find possibilities of, of touching people and reaching people in ways that no one else has. It's so it's it's really easy to just deal with the surface, to deal with you know the cliches and to to say things and to do things and to have characters do things that are expected. But to really understand what a character is doing, to really understand what a character could be feeling, to bring that humanity to them, that's really where you go from a skill into an art and you can be a skilled actor, but Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep because she sees these people and she sees the people in them. Well, I think that the most beautiful thing you said about all of that is that she, you, she it never feels like she's acting, you know, even going back to Kramer versus Kramer. I think one of the, the defining things for me is that, you know, when, because I, I knew the story of Kramer versus Kramer and I thought in my mind, no way there, I'm going to hate the woman. I'm going to, I'm going to not, I, I think, I think, you know, the, the, in that case, the husband had the, um, had, was, was standing on the firmer moral ground. Um, and I don't think I've had a movie change my mind as quickly. And it's not, it's not that I think what she, I'm not condoning it or I don't necessarily think it's right. Um, but you know, I agree with you. I, 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 I get it. I empathize with her. I, I understand from her perspective how and why the situation might have led to a point where she could no longer deal with um, the, the circumstances within the family. So it's it's funny that that I my mind changed so thoroughly. And it's not it's not that I, I side with her or I side with him, but now I really do understand both sides of it, um, and I really do get why um, she she would be in, at least in her mind she had no choice. And without Meryl Streep, I wouldn't have felt that. One of my favorite films, and this is not a Meryl Streep film, but I think that the, the film as a whole encapsulates some of uh, Meryl Streep's philosophy. There's a film called The Crossing Guard that was directed by Sean Penn. And in it, Jack Nicholson plays a father who whose child was killed by a drunk driver. And the killer of his child is set to be released from prison. And he decides that he's going to hunt him down and kill him. And the, the, the drunk driver is played by David Morse, who, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated actors in all of Hollywood. Oh, he's amazing. And so what you have here is you have an opportunity for two kinds of films. If you're going to deal with things in, you know, as I said earlier, in the surface way, you have the, the, just, the, the justified killer, you know, the death wish 
um, type of film. And if you're too young to know what Death Wish films are, Dirty Harry or things where the person killing someone is justified in doing it and you hunt them down. And this is a movie about revenge. Um, I love that I just said if you're too old to know, uh, too young to know what Death Wish is, then I referred uh. to Dirty Harry, which was made at the <laughs> exact same time. So I clarified nothing for younger people. It's a revenge film. Uh, or it could be a revenge film is what I'm saying. Or you could turn it the other way. It's the, the story about a man getting out of jail who's hiding from a man who's trying to hunt him down and kill him. And instead what you see in this film is no one is the villain. You understand how Jack Nicholson feels. You understand the te- the, the the feeling of wanting and needing to do that to to fulfill this pain that's inside of you, to, to end this pain. Uh, and then you see this man who wasn't a bad man who made a mistake and drove drunk and killed this child and has to live with that. And then you take those two characters, fully fleshed out human beings, and put them together in a film and you see what happens. And it's, the reason it's one of my favorite films is because it's completely unique because of that. Is there's no stereotype, there's no cliche, there's nothing played out that you've seen anywhere else because both of these characters are so alive that you don't know what's going to happen between them. And I feel like what happens in that film is what Meryl Streep does in every single role that she picks. From something that people don't think they want to watch, maybe called like Mamma Mia, mm-hmm. or uh, all the way up to uh, her one of what's considered one of her greatest roles, Out of Africa. Mm-hmm. There's a huge gap in difference between those two type of roles. You know, you have the populist, the the popular type film that's kind of funny, and but then you have you know this dramatic. This is you should win an Oscar for this type of role. And Mer- Meryl Streep fluctuates between the two of them, but because her consistency is that humanity. I honestly don't think that she ever chooses a role. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how the inner workings of Meryl Streep's brain are, but um, I really do doubt that she ever picks roles that are, you know, purposefully Oscar bait. I just think, regardless of what type of role that she does, whether it's Mamma Mia or something as as brutal as The Iron Lady, which, by the way, unbelievable movie. Um, but I, I, in my mind, I don't think there's a difference to her between one and the other. Um, in the sense that she's just trying to capture a certain character as as honestly and as as completely as she can. You know what's interesting to me is I've I've always found that the greatest actors are not always the most dramatic actors. The greatest sure. actors understand the, the subtleties of character. That uh, a truly great actor to me is someone who can play a lead in you know like uh, an out of Africa. Or a Silkwood, you know, where your character is at a proportion where somebody that's making this film is thinking that it's going to get an Oscar, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's at that level. But then that same actor can take a supporting role and just kind of play in the background and support other characters. You know, that's why they call it a supporting role. Your, your job is to raise up the, the characters who are in the role that you were in in that other film. And a great actor is able to make those those fluctuations because to them it's about the character. And, and sometimes characters are subtle. Sometimes characters aren't grandiose. And some of her lesser-known roles I find more fascinating than some of her um, 
Kramer versus Kramer's and Sophie's Choices and Out of Africa's and Silkwood's and and things like that. I, I actually I'm more fascinated by her more subtle roles because I feel like there's more acting there. Yeah, there was. I I I feel like there was a string of roles that that define what you're talking about. It's like the the stuff that she did in the 2000s. You know, like um, I remember seeing her in Adaptation and thinking it was amazing. Um, that. Is a that is an awesome movie, by the way, for anyone who 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 wants to see a Gondry-ish movie um, in 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 all of its glory. That's one of the one of the cooler movies. I remember at the time of seeing it and thinking how different it was than everything that I'd seen uh, in and around it. Um, and then the Devil Wears Prada, which we've talked about already, where her her emoting is so subtle, but but so believably subtle um, that you know I. I I still hail it as one of her best roles, despite her lavish repertoire. Um, and then Doubt after that, which also had uh, mm. one of my other fa- fam- my favorite actors in Philip Seymour Hoffman um, and, and a young Amy Adams. Um, that is an incredible movie uh, for many reasons. <laughs> and Viola Davis. Oh, yeah. Viola Davis is in that, too. And then the last one, which is, to me, actually the one where she defines what you're talking about, which is playing such a complete but... Truly amazing supporting role. Well, I'm not even sure if it would be considered a supporting role. Is Julie and Julia? Um, oh my where god! She played, where she plays Julia Child, and I used to watch Julia Child because my my dad, my aunt, and a couple of other random relatives um, throughout the course of my life used to watch her cooking show. And I will tell you now that that is so shockingly accurate of a portrayal of Julia Child that I'm not even sure I'm not even sure that Julia Child could play Julia Child better than Meryl Streep played Julia Child in that movie. It is one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's such a selfless performance. There's almost no Meryl Streep in that performance in the sense that I mean, obviously, it's all Meryl Streep because it's her body, her voice, and everything else. But she channels Julia Child so completely that it's almost there's almost no interpretation to that character. She just is Julia Child, and it's shocking how good it is. Yeah, I went into that film. Uh, I didn't even watch it for this this study because I'd just seen it within like a year or two. I went into that film not really expecting much, and I just I, honestly I think it's one of my favorite films of hers. It's 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 on the opposite end of the spectrum where her role is not subtle. I mean, it's very a very much a virtuoso role because of what you're saying. Um, it's also a Nora Ephraim film. Her and Nora Ephraim made a lot of um, great films. I don't know if they made more than three together. I shouldn't say a lot, but they made some great films together. But the thing that's really interesting, there's an, an interview with her and Nora Ephron talking about that film. And she talks, you know, Charlie Rose, I think, is the interviewer asking her, you know, did you do a lot of research? And, you know, of course, the answer is yes, if you're going to portray somebody that existed on the screen. And she talked about watching um, a lot of the videos of her cooking. And, and she said at a certain point, uh, they were not helpful in learning how to be Julia Child. Because even to Julia Child at a certain point, being on, on television became a role. It became something practiced. Sure. And so she said, my, my purpose in this was not to portray Julia Child's TV persona, but to per- portray Julia Child the person. And she said, so my job is not to represent every bit of research that I found, that I dug up, but my, my, my job is to find the person going back to what we've been repeating, but that's her, almost her exact words. And I find that, I found that really, really fascinating. The idea that, 
you, you find all this research, but you know, she realizes what her job is. And my job is not to give you all of that. My job is to take all of that and find the parts that are important and put that into a person. Okay. And it shows that role. I mean, if you guys have not seen that, you need to watch that film, especially before you watch that film, maybe look up some stuff on Julia Child because I mean, she gets the, Julia Child had a very unique voice, and she nails the voice. She nails the Nail, body posture. Nails it, nails it. Nails everything about it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, to the point where you you actually forget that you're looking at Meryl Streep and not Julia Child. Um, and it, it is a rare moment when you watch a film about a person who really lived, and you forget that you're not watching that actual person. The only other moment I can really think of that right now is in the theory of everything. There's a moment where uh, Eddie Redmayne is crying and talking to his wife about, you know, this. uh, basically their marriage is breaking up and he's crying. And there's a moment where you forget you're looking at Eddie Redmayne and you think you're looking at Stephen Hawking. And that's an extraordinary acting ability to embody a character so much that the audience forgets that you are not actually that person. Yeah, that's that's incredible, and and I mean I I think that's just one example of many. I, it's 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 so funny the the the, the differences in the level of performance because um, you're right. I mean that's one of her bigger performances, but it kind of had to be. I mean Julia Julia Child is kind of a bigger than life character, and so in order to play her properly or to 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 do her character justice, you have to have all of those big things. You can't you can't downplay that character. Um, it'd be like playing you know Freddie Mercury on stage. You just can't do it. Um, but. Then I, I go back to one of my favorite movies of hers, which is is Doubt, and so much subtlety in that movie from her character. I mean, don't get me wrong; there are outright moments of of of, of hatred, anger, and accusation, but there's so much in the way she's discovering the plot as she goes, and how she 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 her suspicions grow, and the things that lead to that, and how not only the filmmaker showing the movie for what it was, but also her her creating those little tiny moments in which um you know in in which in which the viewer can can understand where her suspicion is beginning to build it's unbelievable that's also a fantastic film for for all parties involved i don't think there was a single performance in that movie that wasn't just phenomenal um and and meryl streep despite being on screen with some very powerful personalities and big time actors um defines that movie i mean it's not even close to me meryl streep is is the linchpin that holds most of the movies that she's in together, regardless of whether she's she's a primary character or a supporting character, which is which is a, a, a unique power. You know, it's something that you said earlier, which is I I don't think I've ever seen a movie in which Meryl Streep is in which she doesn't lift the performances of the people around her, and I think that's a weird testament to the not just the the, the quality and the skill of her acting, but also the quality and 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 just amazing power of her personality as well. That's one of the films, too, where she created a backstory that was not provided by the script for the character. Yeah. Because to her, she, she had to understand why this, this, this nun was doing what she was doing. And so she asked herself, well, what, what time period is this? And what opportunities were available to this woman at that time? And then understanding what opportunities were available for her, she could start to understand the choices that she made. 
And uh, th- that's an extraordinary amount of work when you think about it. I mean, granted, don't get me wrong. I have not forgot the fact that, you know, Meryl Streep is getting paid millions of dollars to do each of these roles. Um, but there's other actors out there that are getting paid millions of dollars that don't do this amount of research, that don't do this amount of work. They don't dig into the characters this deeply. And I think that's the difference between actors that come and go, you know, because they're young and attractive and they play decent roles and people like Meryl Streep who never stop working and are considered by many, including uh, Clint Eastwood's quote is she is uh, one of, if not the Greatest female living actress. Which you, of course, will vehemently disagree with. (laughs) Yeah, and the beautiful thing about her, too, is it's not a feigned humility. She really, really believes that she's not that as as great as everybody toots her horn to be. Um, And it's not a a doubt or anything. It's it's a true humility. She knows that she's a hardworking actress, but she doesn't... uh, she doesn't think that she's the greatest. Yeah, my both of and it's a good balance. Both of my my um, uh, it wasn't even my parents. It was one of my uncles. But I speaking speaking of Clint Eastwood, I remember um, my I was too young, of course. This was in 1995 when that movie came out. But I remember how how much my uncle raved about how amazing the Bridges of Madison County was. And of course, I'm too young to understand that that subtle of a love story, but. Um, at the time, I remember I remember him having the same reaction to to that movie as I'm having to to some of the other to some of the other Meryl Streep movies. So there's a part of me that really needs to you know I, I'm I'm basically putting all of these movies back in my my repertoire because you know when I when I went back to to do the study on Meryl Streep, I I did the greatest hits obviously, um, but you know she has such a vast library that I couldn't get to some of the more hidden gems, and I think the Bridges of Madison County is one of those for me. I got to go back and watch it. Yeah, I watched a couple of strange ones. Um, as as is my habit when we do actors or directors, um, instead of going to specific films, I look at what's available on streaming mm-hmm. and let that dictate what I watch. Because I think sometimes sometimes. It will bring me to, you know, their greatest hits because those happen to be available. And sometimes it brings me to strange, lesser-known ones that maybe I wouldn't have watched. So I kind of let fate decide that for me. And one of the ones that I watched that was actually – it's very it's, – it's not a great film. Um, but it is very much – if you want to look at her ability as an actress – um, if you pay attention in this film, it's called She Devil, uh, yeah. and it's a it's it's a comedy, a kind of a black comedy with Roseanne Barr. And what is amazing about this is, so she plays uh, Mary Frances, I think is the name of the character, Mary Farmer, something like that, Mary F, Mary Fisher. Um, she plays so Roseanne Barr is married to uh, Ed Begley Jr. And they go to a party and they meet Mary Fisher. Mary Fisher is a famous romance novelist. And she has this very airy way of talking. I can't even do it. Like, it's just this, there's so much air in the way that this <laughs> character talks. And and she's very idealistic. And um, she really believes in these romance novels. And she wears pink and all of these, you know... And basically, she steals Roseanne Barr's husband. And then you watch throughout this movie the change in this character. 
Um, there's a middle part. I'm not going to give a lot of the movie away, even though maybe I wouldn't even suggest watching this film except for Meryl Streep. But uh, there's a part where she kind of loses her mind. So she's just this raving person who's, you know, that's, uh, her hair is crazy. She's kind of like uh, falling apart. And then, and then at the end, she's this other character who's um, the person after that, who's uh, calmed but bitter, who now wears all black and uh, dark rimmed glasses. But there's this subtlety of the fact that all three of these are very, you know, in a way, very different characters. But there's a consistency between the three of them as well to where when you get to this bitter woman at the end, she still has a bit of that airy talk. Hmm. It's a little bit different. It has a bit more of an edge to it. But her voice has not changed. So it's almost like she had found, okay, this is the character's voice. Part of it is persona. But this particular part is her natural voice. So that she could change part of it. But the part that she couldn't change, she kept. And, and and that to me is an extraordinary, extraordinary skill. And there's like little things that she does that I don't even know people would notice. But the character at the end pushes up her glasses. And when she pushes up her glasses, she uses her middle finger. And I feel like that's like an embodiment of this character's bitterness. You know, like I push up my glasses with my middle finger. Mm. Um, and, and only Meryl Streep would put that kind of work into something. And I mean, this is just a comedy, a dark comedy, you know, like. People don't put that kind of depth into comedy characters. So it might be worth watching just for that. But trust me, it's not a great film. Um, I actually thought I actually thought it was an okay film. Um, you know, I, I It's I, not bad. It's yeah, just it's not great. Say, it's, it's not bad. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, of the movies that she's got in her repertoire that I think people would benefit from watching, I think it's... I, for me, it's, it's about... I, I guess everyone who, who likes Meryl Streep probably likes her for slightly different reasons, and I think that's true for pretty much any actor. But I think for me, one of the defining characteristics about her is how fully she commits to playing the roles that are not necessarily like an American persona that you would you would picture her playing. Um, like for me, the, 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 the two roles that stick out are Julie and Julia and the Iron Lady and how completely she throws herself into those characters. Like, I mean, there's, she's almost unrecognizable as Meryl Streep in both of those films. Um, the Iron Lady, for example, is such a such a departure in every possible way, from the mannerisms to the speaking patterns to the accent itself and how accurate it is. Um, you know, for, for anyone who, who has any... Any 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 experience with with videos of Margaret Thatcher or anything like that throughout her life in politics, seeing Meryl Streep play that role just just it it messes you up on a, on a few different levels. First of all, like at some point you stop thinking that it's Meryl Streep, um, and that happens pretty quickly because of how completely she engulfs herself in that role. Um, and the second thing is you start to both hate and empathize more with Margaret Thatcher if you understood anything about politics of you know the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Um, and, and the power of, 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 I, I guess for me that the defining characteristic of that movie and the reason why it sticks out so much in my mind is because it's such a separation from the reality that we live in. Um, it, it's literally like watching a time capsule, uh, because of how powerful Meryl Streep's performance is. In all honesty, I can't even judge whether it's a good or a bad movie because I think that, um, in, in spots the the narrative is difficult to follow, um. 
but I think because Meryl Streep's performance is so good, I've suspended so much disbelief, um, and I've also so given the movie so much so much slack um, because of her performance that I, I, I it's I I still think at least to this day I mean I know she got an Oscar for it so a lot of other people think so as well but I still think it's it's her best performance and it's her most complete performance because even in Julie and Julia for example she's playing Julia Child but there isn't as defined of an arc um, you know the journey of the character itself and I think that the Iron Lady is the opposite of that that it is one of it, it is one of the the clearest. Movies, movies in which you can watch a character literally growing in front of you as you're as you're watching the film, and it's it's pretty amazing in that respect. Yeah, one of my favorites was actually uh, "Defending Your Life." Oh, never it's an Albert Brooks film. I have not seen that. Huh. It's it's essentially, um, I guess I guess you could use the word people are in heaven. But they kind of have to. They have to defend their life. Oh, I remember uh, that. Actually, live, yeah, I remember seeing that on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about whether they whether they lived with. It's actually a fantastic idea of the afterlife in the sense that uh, it's not about moral judgments or anything. It's about whether you lived with fear or not. And if you live with fear, you have to live again until you learn to live without fear. It's it's fantastic, and so you have Albert Brooks, whose character is very much. Um, in some ways, you could almost say, though, though far, far less neurotic, he's akin to a Woody Allen character mm-hmm. in that uh, in that kind of energy, except he's a, a much, much calmer energy. So his character is very much in fear. Like, they go through the life, and you see that. But then on the other end of it, you have Meryl Streep, who he meets in this afterlife. And the reason I, I think it's such a great role is because she does something that I think that it's very difficult for actors and even for writers in general, um, artists in general, I mean, to to captivate or to capture is happiness. Like true, just effortless happiness. And her character is just full of so much life. that she, I mean, she's exuding life. And I don't know, and she's not really doing much acting. It's something about the spirit that she's holding inside of herself while she's doing this um, that just she's exuding. And I can't explain how she does it. I can't explain the mechanisms, the movements, uh, the way that she speaks. It's 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 almost like it's all of those things and none of those things. It's something that's just radiating out of her, and. It, it it shocked me in the sense that I'm watching this and I'm going, how do you do that? How do you become this thing so fully that it exudes from you? That that it, it's not even something that you're you're acting anymore, but you're you're living it. You're spewing it out from your pores, and it, it's extraordinary. It's it's just an extraordinary gift. And it, I think it really, all I can think is, is it is that she inhabits it, that she becomes it and not like a method actor, but, um, she lets the spirit of it into herself. She finds the humanity of it. And then that fills her. Yeah. Not bad for a Jersey girl who started, uh, acting in her late thirties, huh? <laughs> not even late thirties, no but kidding. like just thirties. I mean, I, I mean, we, we all think about how, how. You know, some of the things that we do, they, they seem so daunting. And we always hear that statement from people. Ah, you know, I, I, I can't do that at this point in my life or it's too late for me. And Meryl Streep is just the stark reminder that none of that's ever true. 
Um, the, 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 those thoughts that we have going into to such actions are things that we self-impose. Um, the, the limitations are self-imposed. And as long as we continue to do that, then we're right. We're never going to achieve it. But if you look at a career like Meryl Streep's, I mean, even her stage work. I mean, we're, we're just talking about her film work, but her stage work is award-winning too as well. I don't think she's ever done anything badly. Um, and I think even in the movies that are lesser known or the movies in which the performances aren't as de career defining as the Iron Lady, she's never bad. I mean, she's, she's always doing a great, fully committed version of whatever character she's playing. And I think that that is one of the things, you know, even, even reading through some of her interviews in, in where she talks about her mom, um, and having that sense of work instilled in her at a very early age, um, it's a great lesson for all of us, which is if you want to succeed, it's not about talent. It's not about, you know, resources or networking or any of that stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of that stuff will help you in the long run, but it's all about the work. It's all about the willingness. It's all about approaching a project or approaching something like acting for Meryl, in Meryl Streep's case without a sense of trepidation, just going into it and, and knowing that if you do a certain amount of work, you will achieve a certain amount of success. And if you do more work, you'll achieve more success and so on and so forth. And it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not magic. It's not, it's not, you know, luck or, or anything like that. It's just straight up work and commitment and honesty. And I think that of the people that we've, you know, I, I think we have a track record of, of doing that kind of, of artist in, in our, our features, which is, you know, the, the, one of the defining characteristics about her is how honest she is and how, how willing she is to, to show that honesty and, and that sincerity to the world. And I think that it not only defines the roles that she's played or how completely she's taken on those roles, but it also explains, um, why she, in, in many estimations, anyone I've read, uh, interviews with um, concerning working with her, they always say that she's a consummate professional and she's an amazing person to work with. And that's unilaterally true. I've never read anything other than that um, about her. And that's that's pretty cool. And some of that praise comes from some pretty amazing actors who 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 define the genre in many ways. Like, you know, when, when you were mentioning earlier, um, Clint Eastwood talking about, um, you know, their time together on Bridges of Madison County. Um, I mean, that's Clint Eastwood. I mean, he's, he's, he's in the, he's in the pantheon. And so, uh, to receive that high of a praise from, from a man of, of that experience, who's worked with so many great actors and so many great directors is pretty much a, a testament to how amazing Meryl Streep's career has been and continues to be. Well, she's worked with so many extraordinary directors. I mean, she's worked with, I mean, almost the who's who of directors, Woody Allen, Mike Nichols, Sidney Pollack, uh, Robert Zemeckis, like you said, Clint Eastwood, Barbette Schroeder, Wes Craven, Steven Spielberg, Spike Jones, Stephen Frears, Robert Altman. Uh, it goes on and on. Robert Redford, Nora Ephron, I said before, and they've actually only done one film together, but um, Heartburn was about Nora Ephron, so she played... Nora Ephron. Huh. There's actually this really funny moment in uh, the interview between the two of them where they're talking about uh, actually the mechanics of acting. And Charlie Rose says something about, uh, I can't remember what role they're talking. Oh, they're talking about Julia Child. And he says something about it must be very different playing a person and then having to play a person with that person actually in front of you while you're playing them. And he's referring to Heartburn and, and uh, Nora Ephraim being on the set during Heartburn. 
and playing Nora Ephron with Nora Ephron sitting right there. <laughs> and she does this thing where she says, well, you kind of, you know, subtly you pay attention to them. And she says the way that they talk just a bit out of the front of their mouth. And she just for a second does it and sounds exactly like Nora Ephron for about one second. And it's just extraordinary that at the time of this interview, that I mean, it was probably 15, 20 years after that role, and she could still pull it out. That's amazing. And it's, I, I think that if we've been talking about in the last few episodes, um, two or three episodes, the idea that you brought up of challenge, putting a challenge in front of yourself. And I think that's a, a defining thing of Meryl Streep, too. So she picks roles that um, are always fascinating to her, but... There's strange challenges, I think, in each of them as well. Um, like, for example, one of the first movies I watched for this was The French Lieutenant's Woman, mm. which I've, if I'm, I think that was her second nomination, if I'm correct. No, third, no, because Kramer, yeah. versus Kramer was before it. But uh, that is a, a particular challenge in that film because that film, she technically, she has to play two characters that are the same person. Um the story of the French lieutenant's woman is a story of her um, – I can't I, – I have both of the characters' names here. One is Sarah and one's Anna. I don't remember which is which. I think Anna is the actress. So you have Anna and then you have uh, Jeremy Irons playing his role. They're both actors. But they're actors playing these other two roles. So the movie f- interlaces the story of – of these actors who are having a love affair with the story of the characters that they're playing in this movie. So you have these two stories interweaving that kind of, um, deal with the same, same kind of subject matter. And these two actors, both her and Jeremy Irons do an extraordinary job where they're playing these characters who are different, but kind of in similar circumstances. And, going through things simultaneously, even though one is fictional and the other one is supposedly reality. It's really hard to explain. I suggest anyone watch that film. It's an extraordinarily made film. Um, it's just, it, there's a, a challenge there in that virtue. How do you make this actress different from the role that she's playing, but enough connection between them that you understand why, She's playing that character that way. Yeah, not only that. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, it, I haven't seen that one, so I can't really speak to it the way that you are, but but that's... that's. I forget. Uh, you know what? I, I, that train derailed. Um, never mind. I'm going I'm to go back to your <laughs> thing. I, I probably need to see that because that sounds fascinating. It, but it does remind me a little bit of Adaptation. Uh, have you seen Adaptation? No. Oh, you've got to watch that one. I think that's that to me is the most brain fun movie that she's done. Um, like it makes my it makes my brain hurt in a way that I really really enjoy. Um, and and <laughs> I, I I think you would absolutely love it. It's it's very Gondry esque in its narrative, and I think just for that reason, just based on that description alone, you should probably watch it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been told that many many times. I just never for some reason haven't stumbled my way into it yet. I I personally find Nicolas Cage to be one of the most irritating actors in the face on the face of planet Earth, but that was one of his a really good role for him. Um it was actually he he did a great job. So, you know, kudos Nicholas. I'm I'm sorry for hating on you so much um throughout the course of your career, but you did do Matchstick Men. Um 
and you also did do uh, the rock. So whatever. Um, but beyond that, I think that um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on was, you know, we, we keep talking about her commitment level to these roles too. Um, but for, for, for a guy like me, you know, I, I, I did a lot of acting when I was in my, my teens and twenties. And I actually at some point really wanted to potentially do it as a career. Um, so I did a lot of work when it came to accents. Um, and I, I, I still think at least, you know, I have a decent grasp of a lot of accents, but I listened to her accents, the, the, the action sense that she pulls off from Sophie's choice forward and the number of different accents that she's done since, or the number of different speaking mannerisms that she's taken on from the characters that she's played. And it's a masterclass. It is an absolute masterclass. I don't think I've seen a male actor of any kind do anything even close. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis might have some, some roles where he's, he's been able to pull off, you know, degrees of magnitude that are that severe, but from, from movie to movie, even, I mean, if you're looking at, uh, you know, a movie like Sophie's Choice, I mean, the one right before that is the French Lieutenant. The one right after that is Silkwood. Watch all the three of those movies back to back. And, and it's hard to, to, I mean, if, if it weren't for the fact that she had the same face, it'd be really hard to tell that that was the same actress. Um, and I think that, that the speaking mannerisms and the, the level of commitment to the, 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 just the physical mannerisms and the idios, idiosyncrasies of the characters, um, there, it shows such a care for the craft. It shows such a love for, for producing the, the, the the character in its fullest and i think that's one of the things that we touched on earlier which kind of defines how she is as an actress too is that like you know she she always thinks that she can't pull it off um before she does it and the, the reason why probably is that she understands the gravity of what she's doing you know she understands the importance of of nailing that character and getting it all right and i think that that level of of humility that level of 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 commitment to doing it right is such a testament to her career and, and, and her choices as, as an actress. It's unbelievable how how thorough she is in her portrayals of a lot of these characters. And and for me specifically, I mean, I know it's, it's particular to a certain thing, but I have a thing for accents. And her ability to get accents so right, um, for anyone who hasn't done it, that requires so much work and so much time and so much paying attention to people who speak. Um, it's almost like a, for anyone who's done a foreign language, it's like immersion. You have to shove yourself in that environment with people who only speak in that accent to somehow um, find a way to achieve it to its fullest. And I can't imagine either the amount of time that she has spent in those environments or the amount of time she spent watching tape of people like Julia Child, for example, um, in order to nail those mannerisms. That, <coughs> that level of commitment is admirable on so many levels. Well, I think what she understands about accents that people don't seem to get as easily is that it's it's a physical thing, too. It's understanding where to hold the mouth and where to put the tongue and all these, like, simple things. And then there's also the intention behind how you hold those things. Like, when she does the Nora Ephron thing, it's to her, it's very much about a physical manifestation of where she puts to her lip and then where the words come out of the mouth at what place they exit. And Nora Ephron doesn't particularly have an accent. So extend that further into someone like uh, like Sophie and to a, a Jewish, um, Austrian, or Polish, sorry, a Polish-Jew accent. Mm -hmm. um, and th th I think that that is really what blows my mind about Meryl Streep is 
there's an, it seems in like an effortlessness, even though there, like you said, there's an extraordinary amount of work, but it seems like an effortlessness because it's, it's like she just understands. I've said it so many times in this episode, how to embody them, but it's not just the idea of embodying their spirit, but also embodying the way that they use their mouth, embodying the way that they turn their head. Um, she's not a big uh, physical actor in the sense that, uh, you know, like Johnny Depp, when Johnny Depp takes on a character, there's a lot of physicality sure. to the way, he, the mechanisms of how he moves the body. Um, and don't get me wrong, Johnny Depp is a, is a very talented actor, but I feel that uh, Meryl Streep is better because she doesn't need to rely on the grand gestures to embody those characters that she can find the movement. Just, I mean, you just take two characters like, uh, like Miranda Priestly in devil wears Prada and, uh, Clarissa Vaughn in the hours. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, the characters are very similar. They're, um, wealthy, um, socialite New Yorkers. You know, there's a lot of similarity between those characters. And obviously looking like Meryl Streep, they look a lot alike. Um, but watch those two characters. They're very different characters. Sure. So and it, it goes back to that not playing to stereotypes thing too. You know, I think people make mistakes with accents because they play to stereotypes. Well, you know, when I was doing my, my character work, um, you know, I, was, I did a little bit, a bit of that here. I did a little bit of it in London. Um, one of the, the, the most useful pieces of information I ever got, um, and, and it goes to the laziness of a lot of actors we see on screen these days. I mean, not to rip on young actors, but just quite a few of them just don't put in the work. Um, but it's not just about the inflection or the intonation or anything like that. It's about understanding how people mean things differently in different languages. It's about slang. It's about vernacular. It's about lexicon. You know, it's about being brought up in an entire like your entire life using this accent and using the intentions of what the meanings of some of the words are in, in different ways than, you know, English is English, sure, but English to an English person is very, very different because the, the history of that language has has had many twists and turns that the American version of English hasn't. And you can, at least for me, you know, because of the amount of work that I've done with accents, I, I'm, I'm irked by it when I see it on screen of someone who literally just had a speech coach and worked for two weeks to get the inflections right. Um, that's it speaks to a laziness that I, I can't, I can't really respect. Um, and sure for the, for the general public, it's, it's not really something that most people care about. Um, but for a person who's done it, um, I, I just think it, I, I just think there's more to it than that. I, and I think there's a lot more to, to the, 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 the craft of being able to, to find that authenticity. And I think even if people don't immediately recognize it, I think somewhere in the back of their minds, they know, you know, like this person really isn't from South Africa or this person really isn't from Uganda or, or, or Hockney or, or Ireland. You know what I mean? There's, even if the accent is close or even good, um, I think that there's a sincerity that is lost in not understanding the, 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 the mannerisms or the, the environment itself or the history that created that accent or, or why that accent exists in, in, in its form now, you know? Uh, Roger Ebert used to say that uh, cinematographers or directors, uh, they're doing their job best when they disappear completely, that you don't know, you don't notice what they're doing. And there's a danger to doing that as an actor. That is, I mean, ultimately is the ultimate skill would be to disappear into that character. But there's a danger to doing that as an actor because you may not be recognized. Um, that's why you have people who 
when they take on large roles, they become grandiose or they, they underplay because there's no purpose in putting that effort forth if nobody's going to notice. And I, I think that Meryl Streep is the reason that she's considered one of the greatest actors is because she's never worried about that. She always worries about the character. She doesn't worry about the recognition ever. And because of that, she, she brings an honesty to those characters, that, like exactly what you're talking about. She sees those subtleties. She understands those things because to her, it is about finding that person. It is about bringing that person out. And that's why, regardless of your political opinions, one of the most ridiculous things that Donald Trump has ever said was saying that Meryl Streep is overrated because huh. I don't believe you could ever overrate Meryl Streep. Ever. Well, it just it just tells me he hasn't really seen any of her movies. Because um, I mean, it's it's that that's a pure personal attack. That's got nothing to do with the recognition or, or lack of recognition of skill. Because even a person like Meryl Streep's got to laugh at that comment. It's like you haven't seen any of my movies, dude. Don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think about she's so good. I know she can't argue that. It's not even that she's so good. I mean, that 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 even underplays um how good she really is I, she she isn't so good she does it right and i think that that to me is the the more defining statement um i i could say that she's a great actress but i don't i don't really think that that's accurate you know i i think that she does it the way you're supposed to do it so she has no choice but to be good because that's 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 the textbook you know that's that's the bullet points that's the master class if you were to to break acting down into a, a six-year course Meryl's the, the 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 point at which Meryl Streep is is the point that every single actor aspires to be, and very few ever actually achieve. Um, and I think you know I, I think of of certain character or certain certain actors who have either gotten close to that in their careers or who have been able to to do what you just said, which is to 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 not care. I mean, I know that that, that sounds strange, but it, you know, to not care about the recognition or to, to, to care about the limelight. I mean, I think of, I think of Malkovich in certain roles. I think of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I mean, these, these are lofty names and these are names that, 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 that at least on some level define whether you like their work or not, you can't deny that they're good at what they do. And I think that Meryl Streep is such a great example of that, which is why, you know, the Donald's tweet is hilarious in that sense. It's not like, I don't care whether you like her or not. I, I don't care whether you like any movie she's ever done or you, you don't, you know, think any any narrative that she's ever told has been complete. The one thing you can never deny, and I don't think anyone in the entire world who has seen more than one of her movies can say this, is that you cannot ever deny that she is good at what she does and she commits fully to her roles, period. And there's the, the true thing about her is the humility with which she does it. I mean, even like Malkovich and uh, a, a lot of these other actors that we talk about as great actors, compared to Meryl Streep, they're over actors. Oh, of course. <laughs> that they they push it too hard. Um, and to her, it's it's I don't know. It's a, there's an effortlessness that. I mean, I feel like we're we're diverging a little bit into Meryl Streep praise as opposed to pulling lessons out of this. But one of the things about her, like you said, you know, she's at that point where every actor wishes they could be or every actor should be. And I think when I, I haven't heard her say this specifically, but just the way that she talks about the roles and talk about the work that she puts into these roles, she never feels like she's there. 
It, maybe maybe she said it a little bit in that uh, when Charlie Rose asked her, uh, "Are you have you accepted that you're good at this?" And she says, "I accepted I was good the last time." She always feels like she's learning. She she doesn't feel like she's at the end of the road. She feels like she's still on the road, that she still has things to learn. And I think that is that is probably one of the most important lessons that we could ever highlight in this show is never stop learning. Don't ever think that you're an expert. You know, for me, the lesson that I, 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 I take away from Meryl Streep um, is that, wow, how, how, do, I, how do I define this? Um, the thing that sticks out for, for me, the thing that, that will always define her to me is how willing she is to go outside of her comfort zone to achieve something she thought was impossible. Um, and I think that's probably the most defining characteristic. I mean, just, just looking at the, the level of diversity in her roles and how completely she takes on those roles. Um, you know, to go back to the, 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 Albert, the Albert Brooks film that she was in, Defending Your Life, I actually remember seeing that on, on a Zenith TV back in the 80s and not really understanding. I mean, I was, I was probably like what, 10 at the time or something like that. Um, but I, I really do think that, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, she's, she's definitely said in interviews that she's nervous during certain roles or in prepping for certain roles. And she's got, you know, she's afraid she can't do a certain character or a certain person justice, but she, that never happens. Obviously, obviously, I mean, she, she nails most of her roles pretty thoroughly, but I think that the one defining thing is that like, you know, she constantly finds ways to challenge herself and, the, the, you know, when I was a young actor, um, something that, that she, that she embodies. And when I was a young actor, people used to tell me, you know, don't be nervous, don't be scared. And I don't think that that's, that's healthy or accurate. I think it's, it's natural to be healthy, to be a little nervous and to be a little scared. And if you look at someone like Meryl Streep and throughout the course of her career, she's always been a little nervous and a little scared. And I think that the one thing that, that defines her is how she's able to push through that and, and disregard it. You know, and to to understand that that energy can be turned towards something positive, it can be turned towards creation. So, if anybody out there in the world, you know, artist or or, or whoever, um, tells you that you shouldn't be nervous and you shouldn't be scared, what it tells me is that they've never done anything that is worth doing because anything worth doing will make you nervous and scared, and or um, they are lying to you <laughs> because that means that they, they've got a front of bravado up that says that they're never nervous or scared. So it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be scared. And actually in a lot of ways, it's great to be nervous and it's great to be scared. And the reason why it's great to be, be scared is because it means that you care a lot about what you do. You care about getting it right. And if you're not scared of getting something wrong, then you obviously aren't scared to get, you aren't, you aren't excited to get it right either. Um, so I think that that is one of the things that, you know, throughout the many, many interviews that I've seen of Meryl Streep, the, the, the billions of quotes and the number of times that she's talked about her roles, um, in various movies, one of the defining things is that she's always afraid that she can't get it right. And of course she always does. So that is a great lesson for me. That is the lesson that I take away from this, which is don't be afraid of being afraid and don't be afraid of being nervous. It's part of what you do. It's part of who you are. It's part of the human experience. And it's part of, of, of transcending who you are is to take those moments in which you feel like you've reached barriers of emotional, you know, um, 
vulnerability and you push right through them and you discover that on the other side there's just another plateau and at every point in which you go from plateau to plateau you become a better smarter and more honest person yeah don't be afraid i mean do be afraid by the risks that you take but that you know you should be a little bit scared because it means you're taking a risk but don't be so afraid that it prevents you from risking anything at all sure. or from trying at all sure and and I think that that's those the, the differentiation between those two is where we often have difficulty. The the point at which we reach friction when we're learning, uh, the point w- where we hit the wall, that is the point where learning begins. We I think we've talked about that before, mm-hmm. and finding that wall and running from it prevents you from achieving or learning anything. But getting to the end and being afraid that maybe you didn't do it right, that's natural. That's okay to be afraid while you're doing it, that maybe you don't know what you're doing. That's okay. That's natural. But to stop doing something because of those things is to negate doing them at all. You're not going to make anything. What is it that Steve Jobs always says? It's better to ship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like that one. I I, want to get that on a shirt somewhere. That one's great. Never, never let that fear stop you. And always, I think another lesson here is always, if you want to create something, always find the humanity in it. Always find that human thing that makes it different, that makes it unique because it is human. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic lesson for me too, is there's, there's humanity in all of these things. And every artistic endeavor, if it doesn't have a sense of empathy or humanity to it, then it's, it's disconnected from, from, from the emotional experience that we all share. And I think some of my worst work is the, the work in which I don't understand where I'm trying to emotionally go with the project. Um, and that's pretty clear, at least on, on, on some of the projects that I've done that I've just absolutely hated. Um, and the ones that I've loved, even if they're not the most well-written or even if the narrative isn't perfect, um, the ones that, that feel the best are always the ones that I like the most. Um, and I feel like that's, that's a lesson that, that, you know, there's, if I ever meet Meryl Streep, which I hope to at some point in my life, I would love to high five her. Um, and I think she'd appreciate the high five. And I, I, I want to high five her because she makes me understand, or she helped me to understand how important relating is, how important empathy is. I mean, even in the last couple of episodes when we've, we've talked about her in small spurts uh, leading up to this one, the one thing that I've always just continually gone back to is how much empathy this woman has um, and how much she defines her roles as being part of a, a clear through line with the human experience. And, you know, if I, if I, I've never really done this during one of our episodes, but I really want to just thank her for that. I, I want to really genuinely thank her for, for putting into tangible terms, something that I've always wanted to understand and didn't quite know that I, I needed until, um, I, I watched enough of her work and saw enough of her interviews. That's how you care. That's how you put everything you've got into a role. That's how you do the role justice. That's how you create a character that is selfless and complete and, 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 and unfazing of your ego in the process. That's how you do it. And if you watch any Meryl Streep movie, um, even 
her not so great roles. I mean, I hated Mamma Mia as a movie, but I loved her performance. Just just watch for her performance and 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 let it wash over you. Let let how complete that role is, regardless of how big or how small the part is that she plays in any movie. Just let that let that wash over you and see how true she is to her characters. It's really amazing. And I I can't think of another actor or even a specific role in which I feel like an actor's achieved um, that level of sincerity. I mean, don't get me wrong, there have been other fantastic performances in Hollywood, some of which are, are career-defining and unique, but I think, you know, you said it best a couple of minutes ago, in which, you know, like, the, uh, even some of these roles, like Daniel Day-Lewis, as much as I love Daniel Day-Lewis, he's almost overacting in some way. Um, even, you know, um, other defining characters like Heath Ledger's Joker or Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter. I mean, these are all fantastic and career-defining roles and will live in, live on in the pantheon of Hollywood as being some of the best ever portrayed on screen. But throughout their entire careers, there's never been actors that have given more to the, the craft of acting than Meryl Streep. One of the things that she's uh, she said to someone... It wasn't even an interview. It's just something I ran across. Um, it was a person who was struggling between being a a reporter and I think an author. And Meryl Streep told her, "Do them both. Just do them both because they're both storytelling. And in the end, storytelling is what unites us all. And storytelling begins with empathy." That's what makes a story unique. That's what makes it real. That's why The Crossing Guard was so powerful to me. That's why so many roles of Meryl Streep are powerful to me. Because they tell a story. And they tell that person's story. That character's story. You know, if we stuck with the surface stuff forever, if we just made things based on stereotypes and cliches and all of this surface stuff, we'd just be repeating ourselves over and over again. You know, it's the thing we criticize Hollywood for doing because they make money off of it. They make money off that repetition and the familiarity. But the movies we remember, the books we remember, the songs that stay with us are the ones that reach into something that nothing else has. Not by trying to overreach or by trying to show off, but because they're really trying to understand something that hasn't been touched on before or that they haven't touched on before. Because you can tell the same story by two different people, and it will be completely different because if they're honest to themselves and honest to the characters and honest to the story, it will be different because of those experiences and that differentiation. Authors talk a lot about uh, the story is dictated by the characters. The characters come to life. They have a mind of their own. And the only way that's possible is by letting them come to life, by breathing into them, by giving them that space by giving them that humanity and that being vulnerable to them. And that's where it all begins, regardless of what art you do, what creation you do. Even if we're talking about business, find the humanity in that business. Find what's really being said there. Find what you really are trying to accomplish. And that unique spot is where it all begins. That's where it is all embedded and where everything lives. And if you need reminding of that, watch a Meryl Streep film. Ow!